0: welcome to ziggler show 390 today we learn why we should sometimes procrastinate on purpose and how to truly multiply our time and i'll tell you it is counterintuitive to almost 100% of the time management counsel that I have ever heard, and I bet you have as well. Our guest is Rory Vaden. He truly rocked our paradigms in a massively beneficial way. I'm going to give you a quick 20-second preview of him from his uh, really well-watched TED Talk uh, that we'll talk about later. But 20 seconds real quick just to give you a little flavor. Here we go.
1: The second... Is that even though everything that you've ever heard about time management is all logical—tips and tricks, tools and technology, calendars and checklists, it's apps—it's all logic. What I realized in that moment, from a two-year-old, is that today time management is no longer just logical. Today, time management is emotional.
0: There you go. There's the first uh, big thing that you'll hear, and it just gets it uh, gets better. So uh, uh, that is what you're in store for
2: but take it
1: now. That's the key. Take it now.
2: You can have everything in life you want if you'll just have enough other people get what they want. Today is a brand new day, and it's yours. Welcome
0: to The Ziegler Show, where we continue the legacy of Zig Ziegler, the world's foremost authority on the fuel for everything we pursue, motivation, inspiration, and a confident self-image. We apply that fuel to leadership, personal growth, sales, faith, family, and success. Our foundational purpose is to inspire true performance, and this is the goal of every show. I'm Kevin Miller, show host and devoted evangelist of inspiration, Tom Ziegler, Zig's son, and the CEO of Ziegler, and I come to you every week to discuss Zig's teachings and bring you the absolute best of today's most inspirational leaders. We get down to the roots of what will absolutely expand human potential, your potential, to it. Today, we're going to hear about the concept of time management, again, in a drastically new perspective, one that resonated with myself, with Tom Ziegler in a huge way. As you listen, if you have thoughts, ideas, questions, concerns, ask us, ask Tom and myself. And if you stump us on the issue uh, that we're talking about today, we'll get Rory to chime in himself. So go to ask.zigshow.com dot com and leave a submission you can write it in uh, but if you leave an easy audio message it's really easy from uh, your computer a mobile device whatever Uh, you can leave an audio message we may play it in the new Q&A show uh, in an entirety or a part of it so again go to ask.zigshow.com this is for our new Q&A show so folks if you don't know Rory Vaden I you need to I mean, he's been involved with Ziegler a long time. He is a true success story. He's a self-disciplined strategist. His book, Take the Stairs, is a number one Wall Street Journal, number one USA Today, and number two New York Times bestseller. As an award-winning entrepreneur and business leader, Rory co-founded the company Southwestern Consulting, a multi-million dollar global consulting practice that helps clients in more than 14 countries drive educated decisions with relevant data. He's also the founder of the Center for the Study of Self-Discipline, CSSD. So Rory is the world's leader on defining the psychology around modern day procrastination called priority dilution. In fact, he coined the term. He speaks and consults on how to say no to the things that don't matter. That was huge for me. You're going to hear about it in just a second in the show. Uh, And to say yes to the things that do matter. His client list includes companies and groups such as Cargill, the Million Dollar Roundtable, Procter & Gamble, True Value, YPO, Wells Fargo, Advisors, Land the Lakes, Novartis, and hundreds more. His insights have recently been featured uh, on or in Fox News, CNN, Wall Street Journal, Fast Company, Inc., Fortune, and the New York Times. He's a regular contributor for American Express, Open Forum, Huffington Post, and The Tennessean, and his articles and insights average more than 4 million views every month. Additionally, he hosts The Rory Vaden Show, which is the only nationally syndicated weekly radio show for movers and shakers in the world of business. I'd highly encourage you to go to Rory Vaden, that's R O R Y V A D. E N. Don't try to put a Y in Vaden. I, I kept trying to do that. R O R Y V A D E N dot com. You can watch his videos, and for the topic we're covering today, and where I played the uh, little twenty second clip from at the intro, the. Uh, video is how to multiply your time. It's his Ted talk from his Ted talk, or or that is the the Ted talk, how to multiply your time. It's been viewed coming up on, I think it's almost 600,000 views already since uh, it's not been that long. So you can also get the book we're referencing today, procrastinate on purpose or his other book at again, Rory Vaden, dot com. I'd really encourage you to go there, check it out. Even if you end up going to Amazon or wherever you can find the book anywhere. So here you go, Tom Ziegler and I. Okay. So Rory, you're not new to Ziegler. You've spoken for and invested in Ziegler a good bit, but it's our first time to have you on this show. So thank you so much for giving of yourself again today.
1: Oh, it's my pleasure. It's always an honor and it's good to be here. Thank you for having me.
0: Absolutely. Well, you know the Ziegler slogan of inspiring true performance. So I'll ask you that question. How do you wish to inspire true performance in our listeners' lives today?
1: Uh, we're, we, we have a, we have, I'm excited to talk about this because I've never talked about this content uh, for anything, Ziegler. But we are going to teach you how to m- not manage time, but how to multiply time.
0: And I am very keen on this, very timely for where I'm at in life and in business right now. So yeah, your latest book title, uh, Procrastinate on Purpose, Five Permissions to Multiply Your Time. I mean, that term alone, permissions, is very intriguing. So you did a TED Talk. It's from that talk that I crafted today's interview. And folks, if you want to go to YouTube, you can type in how to multiply your time Rory Vaden. You will find the TED Talk video there. It's been viewed over half a million times in just 10 months. Uh, but before we dive into the meat of this incredible topic, I want to ask about you, Rory, and your performance there. As humbly as, as I can say, I get a lot of a- accolades for these shows uh, from listeners and from those we interview, and no one knows how much time I put into preparing for each one. I, I write two to 3,000 words per show in kind uh-huh. of scripting it out. And I often talk about Zig. I mean, of course he had a natural gifting towards presenting, but I'm, I love pointing out the fact that he was such an amazing student and worked and perfected his skill like no one else. I mean, was he the best presenter ever? I mean, we don't know, but we know he was the best student. So to that, your presentation at that TED Talk w- was near flawless. Um, I, I mean, I, I can't, I honestly... I write, I can present, but to do it up on stage that perfectly, uh, I was just amazed. So I'm guessing though, and I wanted you to share with folks that you hit that stage when with probably more than just a a little cursory preparation uh, that you were probably prepared. So tell us a little about, uh, the effort you put into that one.
1: Well, it's, It actually, it's kind of a funny story because I I actually didn't spend a lot of time, quote unquote, preparing for the TED Talk. But this is the reality, right? Is anytime anytime you see somebody doing something, it's like there's always 10 years of work to to become the overnight success. And for me, Kevin, uh, I think Tom knows this, I was very involved in Toastmasters when I was Twenty-two. In fact, this is how I met your dad. I don't even know if you know this story, Tom. I was. I don't. I don't. I was. Um, I wanted to become a speaker, and one of my mentors, Eric Chester, said, "Hey, you should join Toastmasters." So I joined Toastmasters, and I heard about this thing called the World Championship of Public Speaking, and I thought, "Wow, like maybe if I won the World Championship of Public Speaking, that would give me the credibility to do this for a living." Because I was a kid, right? And so I went out and spoke 304 times for free over a period of 18 months, and I went to the World Championship, the top 10 speakers in the world, in 2006 when I was 22, and I lost, but then I got more coaching, uh, studied more, read more books, went through uh, dozens of video courses, and and then the next year I went back, and and that was the year that I, well, I lost again, but I lost higher, as I like to say. Um, (laughs) I I came in. I came in second in the world, um, and that following year, I was sitting at a table at the National Speakers Association in the cafeteria, and this gentleman walks, walks by, and uh, he walks up to me, and he says, hey, is there anybody sitting there? And I say no. And, uh, he goes, you're Rory Vaden, right? And I said, well, yes, yes, sir. He said, uh, I understand you've been really in the Toastmaster competition. And I said, I, I have. And I said, and, and who are you? And he said, my name is Zig Ziegler. And, um, and Zig had sat there and I met, uh, your mom, Tom, he, she was there also. And we just talked and, uh, you know, I had known, but I, I didn't really, I, I did not know that he would be there. And, um, and that's how we became friends. And, so that was years and years, and so now I'm, uh, how old am I, 33 or something, that was 10 years ago, but, um, so I'm very young in age time, people say a lot, but I'm old, old in stage time, and I know that Zig was that way, just on stage thousands and thousands of times, and uh, so yeah, there, there is a lot of work that went into it.
0: So you're Malcolm Gladwell's outlier, and you put your 10,000 hours in, um, I love it. That's a great, great testimony. And you, yeah, so your performance and folks, again, I would, I would really uh, recommend you go there for the message that we're about to talk about and hear his content. But also, I mean, TED Talks have become Uh, an art and good content is part of it, but you can make a stumbling block if you don't present it well. And yeah, the presentation was masterful. Well, so let's dive in right to the meat of this topic. You, as I just pulled the highlights out of, to me, out of that talk, you said, there is no such thing as time management. There's only self-management. You can't manage time. Time continues on whether we like it or not. Well, that struck me as incredibly elementary, but also one of those dramatically brilliant, radically paradigm changing statements. I I mean, like kind of like weight loss strategies, you know, I mean, ultimately 90% of the issue, no matter how you cut it will boil down to taking in less calories than you burn. Uh, now finding a strategy that works uniquely for your style is relevant, but it's still going to just get you to do what everybody else has to do. Less calories, more movement, the right foods. So it sounds, that's what it resonated with me, Roy. It sounded like you're taking this a uh, similar truth that while time management techniques may be relevant, they're all ultimately strategies to get us to do what we must all do, which is manage ourselves. I mean, that's a big paradigm shift.
1: Yeah, it it, it is a big paradigm shift. And I when take the stairs. So that was my first book. When take the stairs came out in 2012, uh, we were trying to ask, answer the question: How do the most successful people in the world get themselves to do the things they know they should do that they don't feel like doing? The 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 output of that research basically became take the stairs, and that's part of when I met Tom, I think, uh, round for the first time, and then. Since that point, we went back and, and started asking the question, well, how do the most successful people in the world think about time? And there's two major differences in how they think about time compared to everybody else. And we probably can, can jump into both of them. But the first one is what you're talking about here. And as I look back over the last couple of years, it actually wasn't. I I didn't learn this lesson from academic research. I didn't even learn it from, from like personal practice or experience. I actually learned this from uh a two-year-old. And my business partner, one of my business partners, Dustin, has this little or she was at the time uh two years old, almost three, this little baby girl named Haven. And we live in Nashville. So cute little Haven has this little southern accent developing, and she's adorable. She had like this big cute Kurt like Uh, kind of the curly Q brown hair and these big like uh, brown puppy dog eyes. And anyways, it was a Saturday morning. I'm over at the house picking up Dustin for an international planning retreat that we had for Southwestern Consulting. And we're walking out of the house and Haven hears us. And she comes running down the hallway. And she's like, Daddy, where are we going? And he says, oh, I'm sorry, baby Haven. Daddy actually has to go to work today. And her eyes well up with with tears. And she says, no, daddy. Please, no work today. Please, no work. And in that moment, Kevin, I realized two things. The first is that I'm not ready to have children myself (laughs) quite just yet. Yeah, understood. But the second one was that everything that we've ever heard about time management, it's all tips and tricks tools and technology, calendars and checklists, it's systems of organizing your office, organizing your tasks, it's priority lists, it's to-do lists, It's, it's like all logic. But in that moment, I realized that today, time management isn't just logical, it's emotional. And our feelings of guilt and fear and worry dictate how we choose to spend our time, ultimately, even much more than what is on our calendar or in our inbox or on our to-do list. But very rarely is there any sort of coaching or education around how to manage those emotions and how those those emotions create conflict as it relates to how we spend our time.
0: Okay, yeah, and that's where it just it gripped me when I heard that because I am used to all the tips and strategies, but when you say look we're just you've got to manage yourself, it just pulled me into Yeah. Self-discipline, which I know I relate that to a health and wellness pursuit, especially that man, there's, you know, there's all the workout equipment out there and all the information you could ever want, but it's just getting yourself to get your butt out of the chair and actually make an effort. And I hear you that with time. And man, I, again, I gotta, I gotta say this is personal because that's an issue that I fall down on. Well, you mentioned things like fear and guilt, but you really pulled that one out guilt and I just got me to ponder, yeah, how much, I mean, where, I don't think that's something that we generally think of with time management. Gosh, I, I have a hard time uh, managing my time because of guilt, but in right. that, I assume you're, you're going to things, uh, aspects of saying, well, you said it in a part of your video of saying no, saying no to some more things, but how many things do we say yes to out of guilt for you to pull that out? I'm, say, I'm guessing it, it must be a pretty good ma- majority of the time.
1: Yeah, well, and what you're talking about there is the first of the five permissions, which is uh, relates to the focus funnel. So once we get through talking about the history of time management theory, we ultimately get to how to multiply time. And when I deliver the premise, it, which is really one sentence about how do you multiply time, then after that, we talk about this focus funnel, um, which is and the, the first the first step in the focus funnel. And if you just picture tasks coming in to the top of the funnel, the very first question that multipliers ask is, can this be eliminated? Mm-hmm. Um, because the the way that you multiply time, and I guess we should just put this out there, um, in one sentence, because when I say multiply time, I'm not exaggerating, and I don't mean for it to be a superlative. I mean literally, how do you multiply time? Um, is you you multiply time by giving yourself the emotional permission to spend time on things today that give you more time tomorrow. You spend time on things today that give you more time tomorrow, and we call that the significance calculation. Mm-hmm. So, whereas Dr. Covey uh, used to talk about urgency and importance, uh, significance is a third dimension to that calculation. Uh, urgency is how soon does it matter? Importance is how much does it matter? But significance is how long is this going to matter? How is this going to play out over time? And we live in a world of urgency, and that's why most people are constantly pulled in the directions of fires, always putting out like whatever is latest and loudest, living in this constant state of interruption, because we make the urgency calculation consciously, because Dr. Covey taught us how to do it. But the world has changed. I mean, that book came out in 1989. That's seven habits. And think about how much the world has changed since 1989. Well, you can't solve today's time management problems with yesterday's time management thinking. And so we noticed that these multipliers thought differently. They make the significance calculation. Um, And significance is a natural counterbalancing force to urgency. So it's not a it's not that you disregard urgency. Urgency is a part of the importance calculation, just like significance is. But if you don't consciously make the significance calculation, then we inadvertently overweight the the uh, the urgency calculation. And um, so anyways, as it, as it comes to eliminate, if, if you don't make the significance calculation, here's what happens. Somebody asks you, hey, can you do something for me? Um, and then you don't really want to do it uh, or somebody presents something to your business and they say, hey, here's a new idea and you should do this. And you don't really feel called to do it, but you, you might have um, the fear of missing out or something that if you don't do it, you're going to just be left behind because that's what everybody's doing. Well, in the moment, it, it feels easier to say yes, to just go, okay, yes, I'll, I'll do that for you. But when you make the significance calculation and you think longer term, you start to realize that it's not a good thing to say yes to those scenarios. Now, we go through life saying yes because we don't want to say no. But that's actually a very futile activity because you start to to realize that anytime you say yes to one thing, you simultaneously are saying no to an infinite number of others. Mm-hmm. So by saying yes to this thing that I don't really want to do, But I'm doing it because of guilt. That emotion is driving me of guilt or fear. I say yes to it, and now that is locking up my time in the future. So here and now, inside of the paradigm of one day, that seems like the easy thing to do, the the, the best thing. But when you think about tomorrow and the next day, you realize that if I say yes to this, I'm saying no to my family. If I say yes to this, I'm saying no to my health or no to my church. And so you have to consciously be thinking longer term. And eliminate is the first strategy of, of the five because anytime you say no to something today, it gives you more time tomorrow. It prevents you from doing something you would have otherwise been doing.
2: You know, I, I love what you said about significance, and one of my mentors uh, gave a thought problem, and I, and I wanted to connect significance with time, life, and money. And this was a big aha for me recently. Uh, the thought problem was if somebody's falling from a building and on their way down, they were obviously going to die because they fell from the hundredth floor. But on the 20th floor, you were to shoot them and kill them before they hit the ground. Would you be charged with a crime? <laughs> Goodness. <Huh>? Well, Okay. <laughs> And legally you would, right? Because you took their life and life is murder, right? I mean, you, that's, that's murder. Now you only shorten their life by one second. I mean, it's kind of a crazy thought problem. Uh-huh. But here's the thing is if, if you buy a car and somebody steals it, what have they stolen from you?
0: So look for it at your local store. Heaven Hill reminds you to think wisely and drink wisely. Thankfully, the days of building a business website, then having this massive endeavor to integrate an online store are gone. Today, Shopify has fixed all that. I had one business where we actually built the entire website on Shopify's platform. So whether you're just starting out You all know I greatly value and pursue my health and wellness, and I'm always looking for better products and resources. Nutritional supplements are a staple for me, and a must is a probiotic to support my gut health and function. A probiotic is something I've taken each and every day for the long term cumulative benefits. in just two little capsules a day. Taking Seed's DSO-1 Symbiotic and avoiding the foods I know my body is sensitive to has taken me from constant digestive problems to almost none. I trust Seed's clinical trials and breakthrough research that's been published in top scientific journals. You can entrust your gut with Seed's DSO-1 Daily Symbiotic. Go to seed.com slash drive and use code 25DRIVE to get 25% off your first month. That's 25% off your first month of Seed's DSO-1 Daily Symbiotic at seed.com slash drive, code 25 drive.
2: Well, they sold your property, but you traded your time, which is your life, to earn the money to pay for that car. Right, huh? And so... We don't equate in our decisions every day with somebody taking my life. We value one second of that life of that person who's going to die anyway, so much that we would spend millions of dollars in court prosecuting the guy who shot the guy, right? Yet somebody will walk in and they will steal our life by either taking our time or our resources. Because mm-hmm. it's, it's this. And so that's been just bubbling around in the back of my head. And I think that significance piece that you just connected there really changes my whole view of how valuable time is because time is life. We trade our life for things, right? For for earning, for for memories, for family. And when we allow the urgency or the things that other people think that are important and not ours, we diminish our significance and they're taking our life.
1: They they are. And I, I love what you said about the connection, Tom, between your life, your money, and your time. Uh, and it actually, that actually fits in really well to um, the second part of the focus funnel, which is uh, automate. So basically, if you, if you picture a task coming in the top of the funnel, you say, can this be eliminated? If it can be eliminated, then you have to give yourself the permission to ignore. That's the first of the five permissions. But the second one is really closely related to what you're talking about. So if it can't be eliminated, then that task... Drops into the middle of the funnel, and you say, "Can this be automated?" Well, um, one of the things that we started to realize um, is that uh, well, well here, here's actually how I learned, and you know, you know, Darren Hardy, Tom, right? You know, oh, yeah. you, you know, Darren. So I'm sitting with Darren. This is back in 2012. Uh, actually, we were in the tour bus. It was right. We, we had we had just seen you guys. I uh, remember it was a few days before we came by the Ziegler headquarters in the tour bus. A few days before that, I'm sitting with Darren Hardy uh, at uh, his um, in this area that he lives. It's called Cardiff by the Sea. It's, it's a really ritzy part of South San Diego, like South, Southern California, and. And we're sitting there at this Starbucks, and it's like I noticed there's like a Maserati in, in the parking lot. And then not a few seconds later there's a Bentley and and you know there's Ferraris everywhere. And I was like, wow, this place is very, very different from uh, you know, kind of the, the, the trailer park that I was born in. Um, and I think that so I asked Darren, I said, Darren, what do you think is the difference between wealthy people and everybody else? And the way he explained it to me was he said, if you could go into this coffee shop. Uh, there'd be three different types of people. And if I could hear the way they were thinking, I could tell you with almost precise accuracy, uh, which ones are destined to be wealthy. He said the first group, let's call them the kind of lower middle-class representation. They would walk in and they would say, do I want the coffee? And if the answer is yes, their second question would be, what do I have to do to get the coffee? They'll be completely governed by impulses and emotions, and they'll beg for the coffee. They'll borrow the coffee They'll for it. They'll, they'll steal the coffee, um, but that's not most people. Most people, if they want the coffee, their second question is, do I have $5? And I told Darren, I said, that seems like a perfectly reasonable question to me. He says it is reasonable. That's exactly how most people think about money, which is why most people are of average wealth. But he said the way that wealthy people think about money is completely different. A wealthy person knows that if they spend $5 on that coffee, that's $5 they're not spending on something else. And I said, well, you're talking about opportunity costs. He said, yes, but there's more to it than that. Because if I were to invest that $5 instead of spending that $5, then that money would grow over time. For example, $5 invested at something like 8% for 30 years would grow to be worth about $50. So $5 invested at like 8% for 30 years grows to be worth about $50. So a wealthy person's second question is not, what do I have to do to get this coffee? And it is also not, do I have $5? Their second question is, is this $5 coffee worth to me 30 years from now. And I was like, what? That's crazy. That is the craziest thing I'd ever heard. But it was a perfect example of the significance calculation. Most people only think about here and now. Do I have $5? That significance calculation is, is... factoring in the impact of this in the longer in the long term. Now, you might be listening, kind of saying, okay, Rory, I thought we were talking about productivity. Now, why are we suddenly talking about investing in rich people and money and compounding interest? And that's a good question because I didn't realize this. I didn't realize this either until a couple years after this conversation with Darren. The reason this matters is because automation is to your time exactly what compounding interest is to your money. Automation is to your time what compounding interest is to your money. Just like compounding interest takes money and it turns money into more money, automation takes time and it it turns time into more time. Anything you create a process for today saves you time tomorrow. It's multiplying time. You're spending time on it today so that you have more time tomorrow. Now, the tricky part about automation is if you ask the average small business owner or, or big business owner or leader or parent or anybody, if you said, hey, are there systems that you're aware of that you could implement that would automate certain functions of your business? Most of us would say yes, of course. But then if you ask them, you say, well, why haven't you done that yet? And most people would say one of two things. They would say, well, I do know about that system, but I either don't have the time or I don't have the money. And isn't it ironic that the very two excuses we would use for not automating something are the exact opposite of how it really is? But it's only obvious if you make the significance calculation, just like it's only obvious what that coffee is really costing you when, you when you think longer term. The way that wealthy people think about money is exactly the same way that multipliers think about time.
0: Well, Rory, there's so much in here. It's, uh, I want to capture some of the highlights for folks. Because I mean, you just jumped to, to me, which is more of a, you're, you're talking root, core issues and you, as you outlined it in your, in your message and in your book, we tend to focus again, back, coming back to the time management aspects, uh, to me, in so many words, you're saying these are so symptomatic. Uh, you, you even talked about prioritization, which I wanted to pull out because I want people to hear that, uh, that it with prioritization. You said prioritizing doesn't create more time. Right. I, mean, I mean, that was just a, uh, another kind of rock star statement uh, just along with, Hey, you can't manage time. Time continues on whether we like it or not. I mean, you just took away, kind of chopped, chopped off all the symptomatic efforts that we made, and you're diving into what is the root cause issue. Is that a fair viewpoint?
1: Yeah, I, I think it is, Kevin, and I, and I think uh, that's insightful for you to say because, um, you know, we kind of skipped over this part, which I, I do talk about more in depth in in the book and in the TED Talk. But if there's there's sort of the, the history of time management theory. We refer to era one time management thinking, which really kind of developed in the 50s and 60s as a body of knowledge. It was very one-dimensional. It was all about efficiency. It was do things faster. Right. Now, all things being equal, faster is better if you don't compromise quality. The problem with efficiency as a strategy for managing time is that efficiency reaches a point of diminishing in turns, or returns, which is very well evidenced by the fact that we all carry around these miniature computers in our pockets and we're moving faster than ever before, and yet somehow we're still never caught up in email. We're still always falling behind. Well, in era two thinking, we kind of pay homage to Dr. Covey. We say in 1989, Dr. Covey changed the world because he introduced... The, the, the four quadrants of the time management matrix, where the y-axis was importance and the x-axis was urgency. And then he talks about those, those quadrants. And there's nothing wrong with prioritizing. Prioritizing means to focus first on what matters most. That is as valuable a skill today as ever before. But the limitation that nobody ever talks about, we throw that word prioritizing around like it's the end-all, be-all to solving our time problems. But all prioritizing does is take item number 7 on your to-do list and it bumps it up to number 1. It doesn't do anything inherently in and of itself to create more time to help you accomplish the other items on your on your to-do list. So it's more like it's more like borrowing time. You're borrowing time from one activity to spend on another. Multiplying time is very different and it's based on the significance calculation that we have been talking about which is that you spend time on things today, and you have to give yourself the permission to do it, to, to spend time on things today that give you more time tomorrow. And let me give you another kind of practical example here. Um, if we, The thing about multiplying time, which is just it's, – it's hard to wrap your mind around. We never have time to do the things that multiply time. Like if I asked you, I said, you know, hey Kevin, do you happen to have three hours in your schedule today that you could set up online bill pay? Uh, you'd probably be like, No, I, I I don't. I don't have three hours. And if I did have three hours, I wouldn't the last thing in the world I would want to do is use it to spend set up online bill pay. But the way that a multiplier thinks is they go, Now wait a minute. If I set up online bill pay and it takes me three hours and it saves me thirty minutes a month, Moving forward, then that means in just three months' time, I uh, well well actually in in uh, let's see what do we say three hours so in six months' time, I will have broken even on that investment, and every month thereafter, I will be getting something that we call ROTI. Uh, it's a new phrase that we introduce in procrastinate on purpose. Um, that it's return on time invested. And it's evaluating time the way you would evaluate money.
2: Roy, I love it. You know, dad taught for years in our goal setting system that he created that you invest 20 to 25 hours setting it up in the beginning, but it will save you four to six hours a week. Yeah. I mean, it's the, it's the same. Same concept. Same, same, same principle. And I, and I love that because everybody's like, oh, I don't have time to do a goal. And the reality is, is where are you going to be if you don't? Right. Right.
0: Well, okay. So I got an admission. I I listened to your video last night, Rory. Uh, This morning, my little calendar popped up that said, you know, pay the mortgage. I, I used to have stuff on automatic bill pay and we changed some banking and changed stuff. And I just never... I've gotten around to it and honestly didn't think about it until you said that uh, and <laughs> i it. And so I literally this morning went and set, I think three or four different things up on automatic bill pay. There's no reason not to. And, and honestly, I mean, it took, I, I don't know if it even took me 20 minutes to do it, but uh, which brought me to just, you know, I'm being so unintentional with my time, which brought me again uh, in, in a personal way back to. Um, kind of the guilt, but I think that I look at myself as I, you know, I want to serve well, I want to love others. So when my family asks for something, when employees ask for something, when my business partner asks for something, I want to be yes, of course, I'm I'm happy to serve you, but I am stealing from other things, and so right. you're causing me to be intentional. Okay, I, I got a I got a perspective here, or, or really a question um, okay. that is based on some of what you just talked about with doing things faster or doing more things again, man, that is me do, do it faster and do more because I, I like, uh, I, I, there's a lot I want to get done, you know, life's short. I want to get a lot done, but I'm doing that. And as I thought about you saying that while the times have, you know, times have changed and we can't use those old time management you know systems when time is, is treated so differently. I thought about some of the instantaneous things that we do I get my music now as a kid, you know, you had to go to the mall and go to the store and pick out your cassette tape and and uh, all that jazz and wait for Michael Jackson's latest album to come out, you know. <laughs> and today, man, I have I have Spotify. I have more music than I can consume in a lifetime immediately for 10 bucks a month. Um, movies, I have Netflix and Amazon, uh, you know, books, we get them at one of our show sponsors at audible. I can get anything immediately. Uh, textures, one of our sponsors where we can get any magazine immediately. And as I was thinking about that, I thought, geez, it's, it's almost like, and forgive this. Actually, I won't say forgive it. I mean, Tom already talked about shooting somebody who fell off the building. So (laughs) I'm I'm free to talk about eating disorders, but I, I thought about, you know, it's like an eating disorder and we, we are allowed to be in binge mode always. So you're, I feel like you're to a sense bringing us back to, we have an illness that we have to put a stop to.
1: Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, well, the, the food is a good example, right? It's not a problem that we have too much food in the world. That's just an abundant blessing. The problem is that we eat too much food. That's the same with information. It's not a problem that there's so much information out there. It's a problem that we try to consume all of it, right? Yeah. Or it's not a problem. There's a lot that we can be doing. It's a problem, it, but it creates stress when we try to do all of it. And so it's, it's, it really is about evolving our mindset. It's, You know, that generation one efficiency, that era one time management thinking, that's kind of like being a hamster on a treadmill. Like you're just sprinting as fast as you can and you're just cranking up the speed. Well, in general, I'm a fan of working at a fast pace. I work at a pretty high clip and when I'm working, I'm trying to be efficient. But that only goes so far. So then that era two thinking of prioritizing, that's like juggling Uh, it's kind of where you're focusing, you're shifting your focus from one ball that's in the air to another ball. And you hear people say that even like I'm juggling a lot or I'm trying to balance a lot. And, and those are really the only current two paradigms is like, I can either try to run faster or I can try to juggle more stuff. And it's, it's actually funny because I think this analogy describes pretty well what many of like our coaching clients at Southwestern Consulting, what they actually feel like. They, they – they, you know, like when we start working with somebody, they'll, they, they describe like that they're overwhelmed, that for every email they send out, two come back. that You just never caught up, and it's always this frustration. And it's like all we are is a bunch of juggling hamsters sprinting towards this inevitable crash landing. Um, well, being a multiplier is less about being like a treadmill runner and less about being like a juggler, and it's more about being like a gardener, a seed planter. It's it's giving yourself permission to plant seeds that are going to create margin in the future. That's why the word permissions is so important. You have to give yourself permission to – and this is where the title of the book comes from – procrastinate on purpose with all the insignificant things. And from – you procrastinate on purpose with the insignificant or the trivial things, and that is where you create the margin to, like Tom said, do the goal-setting session, like – or to invest in a new system, or to hire another person, or to train a, another, another person, um, which actually fits in really well to the next step in the focus funnel, which is delegate. So if you uh, eliminate is the permission to ignore, automate is the permission to invest. If it can't be eliminated or automated, then it, that task drops down to the bottom of the focus funnel, which is delegate. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, there's a rule that we use called the 30X rule. And I think, you know, Kevin, this will probably be uh, an empirical way to to kind of – when you talk about this problem that we have, this is kind of an empirical way to sort of look at it. Um, So the 30X rule suggests that we should consider spending 30 times the amount of time it takes us to do a task once on training somebody else to do that task for us. Um, And this is where I people sometimes I lose people sometimes because I go, let's say you have a task that takes you five minutes a day to do the 30x rule suggests then that you should spend 150 minutes training somebody how to do that task.
0: Use promo code Kevin, airdoctorpro.com, promo code Kevin. This episode is brought to you by BetterHelp. So my book and this podcast are named What Drives You. And what drives us, the great things, is our own values, our known values. When we go astray, it's because we've lost sight of our values. Therapy is key for helping you clarify what matters most to you so you can do more of it i was late to taking advantage of therapy it was only for crisis but now myself and most of the rock stars i have on my show get therapy regularly for most people the main hurdle is starting therapy
1: And people almost get mad at me. They go, Rory, that is the stupidest thing I have ever heard of. Why would I spend 150 minutes, nearly, that's two and a half hours, training somebody how to do a task that I could just do myself in five minutes? And the answer is, you wouldn't. That would never make sense unless you make the significance calculation. It it never makes sense in a world of urgency. It never makes sense in in the paradigm of one day to say, yeah, I'm going to trade two and a half hours for five minutes. That's a losing investment. But when you make the significance calculation and you realize, okay, if if I spend five minutes a day on this task, and let's just go out one year worth of time. So let's say there's 250 days, working days, in a year. So 5 times 250 is 1,250. So when you make the significance calculation, you realize over just one year's worth of time, I'm going to spend 1,250 minutes. So now that conversation appears differently. Instead of saying, is it worth 150 minutes to save me 5, you're saying, is it worth 150 minutes to save me 1,250 over the course of a year? The answer is just as obvious, but it's the complete opposite of what you initially thought. The only thing that has changed is your perspective. It's the significance calculation. And if you were to if you were to evaluate that investment, uh, investing 150 minutes and getting a net uh, 1100 gain because it's 1250, it's going to save you. But then you spent 150 training somebody, so your net gain is 1100. Mm-hmm. So you you invested 150, you gained 1100. That's a 733% ROTI, return on time invested. There are 733% returns all around you. And then the, the next generation of savings for businesses is not in saving money. It's in saving time.
0: That, yeah, you continue to bring, I love how you're bringing time management into, it's a budgeting and investing equation. Uh, even on that from an investing standpoint i know you know from a wealth standpoint we look at how can i make residual income money that's going to come in whether i'm working you know right now or not instead of face to face money uh you know how money while you sleep that's what we all tend to talk about or multiple streams of income and, and that uh, famous you know book and term and i think that I read somewhere, it might've been millionaire next door where the average millionaire has seven streams of income and we're talking about multiplying. So now here you're saying that we have time. and So if it's one-on-one, if the task that I and I alone do, or, or that my daily task, everything that's accomplished is just me, then I have a finite amount that I can get done. If I will, so, so maybe that's one dimensional. If I automate it, so something's happening on the side, another task of mine is happening while I'm doing another one. I've just now doubled it. Uh, if I delegate, then I've just tripled it or, or, or three dimensional. I mean, I love that in your 30 times rule, uh, of course a piece of that, or I guess in right alignment in that is training someone to do it, which you're going to be paying them too. I mean, it's an investment of your time, which I think, I mean, how often do you hear that? I'm, I'm sure you do that. Oh my gosh, I would love to delegate that. I don't have the money. True.
1: Well, so absolutely. Now here's, here's, what's just awesome about this. People say, I can't afford to hire somebody. right? But, uh, you, again, the significance calculation, you already are affording it because you're either paying somebody at their rate of pay or you are paying yourself at your rate of pay. We all yeah. have something. Um, so in, in the procrastinate on Purpose book, one of the other terms that we introduced is called MVOT, M-V-O-T, money value of time. Not to be confused with time value of money. That's different. That's the future value of what your money will be worth if it's invested. Money value of time, MVOT, is what is your time literally worth? And the way you get that answer is you just take whatever your total income is, no matter how many different income streams you have or whether you're paid on salary or commission or profits or whatever, just take your total earnings, divide that by the number of hours that you worked, and that will give you your MVOT. Mm -hmm. It lets you know that your time is worth – is literally worth this certain, this certain value amount. Well, um, so when you have that realization, you start to understand that you already are paying somebody to do this. You're paying yourself at your rate of pay because it's the opportunity cost. And if you, if you come back to this, like the coffee example, uh, you, you'll realize, There's all of these different costs that are going on. There's an an actual cost of $5. Everybody sees that. There's an opportunity cost of $5 also. Much fewer people see that. Then there is a hidden cost of $45, which is the amount of foregone gained investment of compounding interest if I would have invested that money versus saved it. And now there's another cost – which is MVOT cost, the money value of your time. Well, if you make $150,000 a year uh, and you work 50 hours a week, that comes out to be about $62 an hour or a dollar a minute. So if you make $150,000 a year and you waited 20 minutes in, star- in the line at Starbucks, it just costs you $20 in terms of your time in waiting in line to get that coffee. So you probably could have hired somebody else for less than $20 to go to, to, go to the coffee shop and get the coffee for you. Um, and, and that, but it's, it's a whole different way of thinking. And this is, again, the way that rich people think about money is the way that multipliers think about time. It's why the rich get richer. They see the world through a different set of lenses uh, than everyone else sees. And, and that's what the focus funnel and the five permissions is all about.
0: And it is. It sounds complex to a degree. I'm sure there's some people out there going, "Geez, can I get a a money budgeting coach? Maybe that's your next business, Rory, that they can go hire. I'm kind of like Dave Ramsey's uh, financial coaches uh, to sit down. Because I listen to that, and I think, I mean, yeah, it's 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 uh, it's not rocket science to a degree, but we just violate these principles so often, I mean, it's kind of like Tim Ferriss's, you know, four hour work week where if you make 50 bucks an hour, delegate so much to somebody who you can pay 10 or in his case, you know, three bucks in, in India. But, uh, I, again, I, I violated this so many times recently. I it's, I'm sitting here thinking about my plow in all reality. So I live up in the Rocky mountains. We've got Uh, a long driveway and actually multiple driveways. I got an old Jeep and my wife said, why don't we put a plow on that? We're always, you know, waiting on somebody to to help get us plowed and the neighbors do it, but they don't do it as well as I would. And so I finally did that. The amount of time and effort I put into getting a plow on that dumb Jeep this year. And then now I get in it and I go plow. It takes forever. And I hate it. It's just violent trying to plow that much snow. I don't like this. (laughs) I I, the, the amount of time money I could have paid somebody to plow my driveway for the next, Next decade. And uh, now I'm stuck with the thing. I mean, maybe I'll sell it, but it is, we just don't put that premium. I love that. You're just calling us out to this, to the importance of it. And in a sense that we're valued enough to do what we do. Well, what Tom, hey, <laughs> yeah,
2: I, Kevin, you need to put an ad out for a young entrepreneur. You're going to provide the plow and the cheap, <laughs> and you're only going to take 20% of what they go out and generate in revenue, and you're going to allow them to use that as, long as they plow your driveway.
0: I, I'm typing a Craigslist ad right now.
1: Multiplier thinking. <laughs> Multiplier right thinking. Tom Ziegler. Multiplier Absolutely. Mentality.
0: Well, this, you know, again, coming, and I, I want to, I, I do want to read these uh, three lines that you said in your in your TED talk about multipliers. You said, number one, you know, urgency. We think urgency. How soon does something matter? Two importance: how much does something matter? And then three significance: how long does it matter? I love that point, folks. You may want to want to well, again go watch his video or, or hit rewind real quick because that's a statement that he makes that really changes the significance: how long does it matter? And when you get to this. Uh, of what can I do today that will make tomorrow better? What can I do right now that can make the future better? Again, I, I love analogies and I love visual pictures and it made me think of physical fitness. That's an area that I invest a lot in, but there is nothing. Actually, I didn't think about this till last night listening to you, Rory, and I thought, you know what, anything that I do today, the workout that I do today does not make me stronger, faster, thinner, more flexible today. Matter of fact, it makes me weaker today. It makes me more tired today to a degree, but it is what builds up to make me better, you know, tomorrow and the next day. And and a lot of my wellness pursuit today at the age of 45 is really focused on what am I going to be looking like, feeling like, what are my abilities going to be? What's my clarity, my mental capacity going to be at the age of 75 85, yeah. where, you know, it's a world of difference depending on those decisions that you made so long ago. And here you are saying, if you want to be at this place of success, you're going to have to start making some big decisions with your time, with your investment. And you may have to well, to, well. so again, one, we're talking maturity in a way, maturity and wisdom. And then on another side, saying for a lot of folks, myself included, that, okay, if we're going to make this happen right now, we're going to need to buckle down and put some extra effort in. We're going to have to stretch ourselves so that we can do your, your uh, um, uh, what was it? The 30, uh, 30 times rule. You're going to have to make a big investment, but it is going to pay off. But you've got to look ahead. You've got to be mature about it.
1: Yeah. Well, and, and you, uh, you mentioned that the Ted talk too, if, if mm-hmm. anybody wants to see the focus funnel, you can actually go to procrastinate on com and there's a free one hour webinar you can watch. Like I take you through all five steps and stuff. Um, so just go over there, procrastinate on com, and, and you can see it. But what it's funny, Kevin, you were just spouting off and you were doing it like completely unconsciously about the physical, uh, huh. You just described somebody yourself making the significance calculation as it relates to your physical fitness that the reason that you work out is because you're thinking about when you're seven what what is it going to be like when you're 75 that calculation is part of what creates the context for you to make the sacrifice of working out today most people who struggle with physical fitness the reason they struggle is they're only thinking about here and now do i feel like working out right now The answer is always no. I never feel like working out right now. And in Take the Stairs, uh, one of the principles from Take the Stairs was the paradox principle about how easy short-term choices lead to difficult long-term consequences. Meanwhile, difficult short-term choices lead to easy long-term consequences. So when you're thinking into the future that way, that is the significance calculation as it relates to your your. Your physical fitness. And that's why, uh, like one of the stories I heard one time, uh, I was speaking at an event, um, for a group called YPO as young presidents organization. And, um, I speak for YPO EO, and some other different, you know, organizations. And, and, um, this guy comes up to me, very successful guy. Like, uh, you have to be to even be in YPO. The guy comes up to me and he just, he looks like, you know, just like a strapping man, like just very in shape. Uh, and, Uh, I mean, not like in Kevin Miller shape, but close. (laughs) Bless you. Thank you. Um, And uh, so he comes up and he says, Roy, I know that it won't, you won't, I don't look like it now, but I used to be about 60 pounds. um, Oh, no, 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 120 pounds. He said 120 pounds heavier. And the reason I remember the exact number was because he said, I gained one pound a month for 10 years that I was married. And I was 120 pounds heavier. And I said, wow, man, well, like, what caused this, like, radical transformation? Like, was it a program? Like, was it video? Like, was it, like, tell me. I want to know. And he said, no, it wasn't any of that stuff. He said, I had a friend who was married and had three kids. And one night, this is a horrible story. Um, One night, they woke up in the middle of the night, and their house was on fire. And my friend had to make a decision about... Who he was going to try to carry out of the house in his family, Jeez. And, and he said, "When I heard about that story, I realized that if I was ever going to be in that position, I need to be strong enough to be able to carry my entire family out because I'd rather die than have to make that choice." That's awesome, and uh, that's kind of a negative, a negative example, but it's a it still shows the significance calculation that. It it wasn't a magic pill or a secret potion or a hidden formula. It was simply a shift in creating a longer-term perspective, and that creates the context for action to take place. When you have a crystal clear picture of what that future looks like, your discipline engages automatically, which is what Take the Stairs is all about. You don't have to motivate yourself. It comes alive uh, organically.
0: Oh, man, that's an inspirational pillar right there. Uh, That having a reason. Um that's a great that's a great perspective. Um, I, I want to ask, I, I, this is a, almost, I feel like it's almost a bit of a veering off, but it, I, th- I, to me, it seems like a root cause. I'm big on root causes, not looking at symptoms. What's at the root, which is what you've done here. So masterfully with your message and with your book, you're, you're in so many ways saying, okay, we've got to say no to less important things or delegate them or automate them so that we can do the really important things. So you said, Uh, multipliers use next generation time management and realize it has much more to do with what you don't do than what you do. Whatever we say no to today creates more time for us tomorrow. Uh, anything you say, anytime you say yes to one thing, you're saying no to another. Okay. So I'm taking that and then boiling, coming down to the next piece where in this, again, I think is, is somewhat of a sensitive lane, but, um, I want your perspective on it. In your experiences, you've researched and studied this area of time management, how much of our, how much of it relates to an addiction to doing so much, to busyness, to staying constantly overwhelmed time-wise for avoidance sake? Because if I do these things well and get more time, then I'm left with, okay, now I can do something truly great. I can invest in that big thing. And that's risky and scary. That kind of puts me on the line to succeed or fail. I don't know if I want to do that. Uh, so I'm, I'm asking is, do you see that as a, an emotional, psychological piece of this sometimes? And the other thing with time also, it could also lead me to, geez, now it's just, I'm at rest and I'm going to have to look myself in the mirror and come to grip with the reality. Now that I've slowed down, I may not want to do that. So it's just easier to let's, I I want this busyness. Do you find that as a relevant issue amongst time management as we talk about it?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, uh, and take the stairs, we talk about three different types of procrastination. The second one is called creative avoidance hmm. um, and <clears throat> busyness is often used as a way to escape doing the things we know we should be doing that we don 't feel like doing i e take the stairs, which is why we talk about it in that other book um, but the it, again it 's emotional right that 's an yeah. emotional thing you're 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 creating busyness as a as a creative way to engage in something so that you can feel productive. You're crossing things off your to-do list. You get a a shot of dopamine every time you cross something off your to-do list. It makes you feel good. Um, But in reality, you're avoiding the things that really need to be done that do multiply time, that do, because then you are confronted with the reality of how, what am I capable of? What is possible for me? And it's a lot safer to not have to answer that question. But, you know, I love... I love uh, Genesis chapter one verse twenty-eight, and I didn't realize this uh, until you know basically the book was finished. But um, in Genesis chapter one verse twenty-eight, God actually delivers His first command, His first instruction to all of humanity. And if somebody would have asked me, they said, "Rory, what was God's first command to all of humanity?" I probably would have thought I would have said, "Well, you know, love thy neighbor as thyself." And it's like, no, Jesus says that way later. What about um, have no other gods before me? All right. I mean, like, well, no, that's the first commandment, but that's not the first instruction that God ever delivers. And, and, And God's first commandment is, or not his first commandment, his first command in Genesis is be fruitful and multiply. That's the first order that we are given. And I think that, you know, we we often think of like procreation, which is probably a part of it. And and obviously, who knows what God really means uh, with some of this stuff. But I have to think that I go, he just got finished telling us we were created in his image. That's what was just described. And then he gives us the order to be fruitful and multiply, which means if God has this infinite power, we were created in his image, then at some level it seems like we have some of that power in us also, especially, you know, vi- vis-a-vis the Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. And so we are called to multiply. In, in other words, we are called to greatness. We are called to do His work. We are called to impact the world. But that is scary because we have to confront what if we don't, what if it doesn't happen? And and we use busyness as an escape. Um, and that is, uh, it, so it's, it's definitely, I think, a, a part of of the root cause. And it's, it's something that we have to, we got to be mindful of.
0: Okay. That was a powerful synopsis there. I'm I'm tempted to, 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 to wrap up there. I got one more, I got one more issue I wanted to ask you about Rory. All right. Um, and it really focused, I mean, you let us through, you know, eliminate, automate, delegate, and then procrastinate on purpose, which is the title of your book. And you so that and that's where I wanted to wrap up procrastinate on purpose that that again, as you said, uh, in regards to something else, that wasn't just a, a catchy phrase. I mean, that's that's a literal uh, tactic that you use that there is a difference in waiting to do something that we know we should be doing that we don't feel like doing versus waiting to do something because we're deciding that now is not the right time. I love that definition. I mean, that is a truth in my own world. I do some of both admittedly, but the the latter you know I, I thought I often let my email box fill up, uh, and I know that a good piece of time management is to only deal with something one time. I don't tend to do that. I'll look at emails and if it's not urgent or not super important, I'll let it set there, and sometimes I'll come back to it. but a lot of times I'll end up after so long, and there's like three hundred messages in my inbox. I'll buckle down at some point, take an hour, start from the oldest up and delete 75, 80% of them that I've realized they they weren't important enough to mess with. I'm so glad I didn't. Um, But I love your distinction. So, I mean, you're, you're in essence, uh, or I'm asking, it sounds like you're saying, okay, here's a relevant filter that you can look at as you look at those things that you don't really want to do is one, am I waiting to do it? Because, uh, am I waiting to do something that I know I should be doing that? I just don't feel like doing, or am I waiting to do something because I'm deciding that now is not the right time that, uh, that feels like a good freedom to look at something and be honest with myself and to be okay with some, because I, I again, I relate to that. There are some things that I wait to do because I'm not sure if now is the right time, but I don't know that it's not important but then also being honest with should I be doing it and I just don't want to and I probably should just knock it out of here. So that's for you. That's a literal filter that you use, yes?
1: Yeah. Absolutely. And 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 you'll notice Kevin that nothing about what I've said in this whole interview is telling people what to do. Yeah. It's all telling them how to think because ultimately you're the only person who can tell the difference between those two. And there is a and 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 I do I do I've had some people come at me and go, "Wait a minute, Rory, and to take the stairs, you said procrastination was the killer of all success. You said procrastination was the foundation of a mediocre life. You said procrastination was the difference between those who get what they want out of life and those who don't. And you talk the whole books about these three types of procrastination, and now you're telling us to procrastinate on purpose. What's up with that? Well, I did say all those things, and they are still exactly true as I said them. But you have to understand the difference between waiting to do something that you know you should do that you don't feel like doing versus waiting because you're deciding now is not the right time. I know I should do my taxes. I don't feel like doing it. That's procrastination. That's bad. I know I should work out. I don't feel like doing it. That's procrastination. That's bad. I know I should make that sales call, but I'm scared. I don't want to do it. That's procrastination. That's very different from saying, yeah, there's 100 emails coming in. But you know what? I'm working on the project that's going to automate 80% of our business. It's going to create a whole new revenue stream for us. And most of those emails are going to be figured out. People will figure them out on their own by the time I get back to them by the end of the day. And if anything really is that crazy, someone's going to call me or text. Like they're going to come and get me. Uh, They're going to find me. They're going to track me down. So I'm going to procrastinate on purpose with that so that I can focus on this thing. I'm going to procrastinate on purpose like organizing my desk – and I'm gonna do that some other time so that I can drive this project forward. Um, I'm gonna procrastinate on purpose this incoming phone call so that I can spend dedicated focused time with my wife because it's date night and that's what, what I do. I'm I'm intentionally so inaction that results from indulgence is procrastination.
2: Mm.
1: And that's bad. And that's what we talk about overcoming and take the stairs. But inaction that results from intention. That is procrastinating on purpose, which, by the way, is a synonym for the word patience. It's the permission of the incomplete. It's to say, yeah, the chronic overachieving taskmaster in me wants to cross off 100 items on my to-do list because that makes me feel like I'm being productive. But multipliers realize that success is no longer related to the volume of tasks you complete, only the significance of them. And so, I don't need to do 100 insignificant things. I need to do the one significant thing, the w- one thing that will multiply my time, that will give me more time or results tomorrow than I had today. And I can have patience with everything else. And I'm, I'm not going to let it pressure me and, and because I, I have conviction that I am doing the thing that only I can be, be doing. And it, and it never stops. Um, you always, it's a battle that goes on. And you know the signature catchphrase from Take the Stairs is that success is never owned, success is only rented, and the rent is due every day. It, it, you pay the price over and over. You, 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 it takes work and practice, but if you do these things, if, if you pay the price, it will work out for you. You will create more time and more results in the future. Success is never owned, but it's rented, and the rent is due every day.
0: Well, Rory, again, just amazing. Thank you. I mean, I I do appreciate that you're not telling what you just said. I'm not telling people what to do, but how to think. And it made me, I think as I refer uh, or I talk about this book and this show and what you're doing here with other people, that what comes to mind to me is you're teaching us the psychology of time management. And that once we know it, then we can apply all those strategies that are out there that are relevant but they're symptomatic if we don't understand the root cause the psychology of it. So, you know, folks, again, I would uh, motivate you to go find that video. Well, or go to procrastinateonpurpose.com, and he's got some offerings for you there. But dig into this. You just heard some of the highlights, some of the topics, but uh, get the book and, and invest in what Rory's doing to really dig in here and apply it to yourself Because as you've heard, I I feel like how can we afford not to? Um, So immensely grateful, Roy, for your message, for taking the time to bring this to the marketplace, bring it to us. And then for you taking the time to share with us here on The Ziggler Show.
1: Oh, well, it's my privilege. And, you know, to both of you, uh, I obviously have huge, tremendous respect for both of your fathers um, but I have a huge, tremendous respect for the two of you, and I appreciate the two of you dedicating such time and passion and enthusiasm to to helping inspire you know great, true performance. And I, I love, I, I love you. I love both of you, and we are all indebted to you because you help us multiply time. You're always putting out amazing content, and uh, just thank you for what you do, guys.
2: Thank you so much, Rory.
0: Hey, it's an honor to bring everyone rock stars like you. Appreciate it. Take care. Thanks for everybody for tuning in. We'll talk to you in the next Ziggler Show.